When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is the Sooner Sports Podcast. Your all-access pass to Sooner Sports. The Sooner Sports Podcast is presented by Allstate. Are you in good hands? And by Riverwind Resort. Riverwind Resort, the place to be. Now, here's your host, Chris Plank. All right, welcome into the Sooner Sports Podcast. My name is Chris Plank. We call our Friday episode The Tailgate. And man, what a show do we have for you today. Coming up on the program, you'll hear from Toby Rowland. You'll hear from Teddy Lehman. You'll hear from Baker Mayfield, a quick visit with Orlando Brown Jr. The analyst on the TCU Radio Network, John Denton, will join us. He's great. And I loved our analytics conversation we had about the four-team playoff a couple of weeks ago. So I welcome back in Adam McClintock to the podcast. That's coming up in our final segment. As always, thank you so much for downloading and subscribing very easy to, to get involved with the Sooner Sports Podcast. Go to Soonersports.tv slash podcast. You can always interact on Twitter at OU on the air. And if you happen to subscribe through iTunes, we appreciate all the ratings and reviews that have been left. They help sustain us and they obviously help us know that we're doing a job that uh, serves the Sooner Nation, which is what is most important. That's what we're here for is to bring you all the interviews and all the stories that you love to hear about the Oklahoma Sooners and Sooner Athletics. And as you might imagine, Today, the focus is on football, and coming up tomorrow, we have a rematch of a game we just watched about, what, three weeks ago? There's the snap. Blitz is on, looks end zone, lobs end zone for Calcaterra. He caught it. Is he inbound? He's in. Touchdown! Oh, mama! Play action. Hill wants to throw, looks left, under pressure, backing up. They got him! Devontae Lampkin with the sack! Defender 
Harper under center. Takes the football, slams a knee to the turf, and that'll do it. Statement made. It's Oklahoma and TCU. Everything that happened on November 11th is irrelevant. You heard right. Sure, the 38-20 win helped get Oklahoma here, but when it comes to preparations for this game, it does not matter. We caught up with Baker Mayfield earlier this week, and along that same line asked what he saw from the film in the win over West Virginia that can help this team get better. Um, you know, I, I think we were consistent, and that's something we've been working hard on You know, doing. And I think we played complimentary football, uh, not just the offense, but with the defense as well and special teams. So um, we're getting better at the right time of the year, and uh, our first goal always is a Big 12 title, so I'm glad it's finally here. You know, it was a physical game. It was, uh, uh, again, a uh, Pretty challenging game, even chippy at times. How do you feel like the team did when you look back on really trying to control its emotions? You know, for the most part, I think we did well. You know, it's something we expected with West Virginia. And then, you know, on, on top of things, it being an emotional senior day. And uh, I think for the most part, we handled it well. Yeah, there's some things we, we could do better. But um, for the most part, we were able to execute and do our jobs, which is the most important thing. You know, I know we talked about it post game, but what was it like for you, the emotions, to hear the crowd, to have that moment walking off the field, walking off the field in the middle of the game with the game well in hand? What was that like for you? Unbelievable. You know, I couldn't have drawn it up any better. Uh, I mean, just picture perfect for me, the perfect ending uh, for my career playing here at Owen Field, and um, just couldn't thank everybody anymore. What more can we say about the continued development of CD Lamb? Makes tough catches, blocking downfield well. This guy has really turned into something special, hasn't he? He really has. I mean, he's he's got that, that it factor, and I think if he continues to keep working and is you know just keep getting better, I mean, he's he's still only a freshman, so uh, it's going to be scary how good he's going to be. Speaking of scary, uh, it seemed like you were the most excited guy for Kyler Murray on not just that first series, but how he played late. This kid's got a great future in front of him too, doesn't he? This program's in great hands. Uh, there's there's no doubt about that. You know, we got. Coach Riley's going to be here for a long time, and then obviously next year with Kyler playing quarterback, guys, he's so talented. And uh, just some of the things he's able to do um, with between his feet, and he has such a great arm. It's just you don't see that very often, so uh, they're going to be just fine. With everything this team has been through, do you have to pinch yourself sometimes to think 11-1 and in the 14th playoff conversation, Big 12 championship looming, so many challenging games, but yet you guys have stayed together and got better? Yeah, no, I think the thing that we've done the, the best is block out the outside noise. You know, we don't pay attention to all the other stuff. <clears throat> and we just, we really focus on, you know, a singular a singular one week at a time mindset. So um, we're doing a good job of that. Yeah, we have national title aspirations. But like I said, our, our first goal of the Big 12 titles is right in front of us now. Yeah, that first goal is TCU on Saturday. Final thought, you expect to see anything different? What's kind of the plan going in uh, up against the Horned Frogs again? Um, you know, playing a team twice is always hard or the second time. So uh, it, it's going to be challenging. You know, the, the first game you play them, you kind of exploit weaknesses. And then, you know, the second time you kind of make sure you strengthen those those parts up and um, so it's about winning individual battles and matchups so I expect it to be a physical game and a good one it's always great against them and speaking of Baker Mayfield what a performance he had on Saturday play action throws in zone caught it's a touchdown CD Lamb welcome back Bake. now he's looking deep wings it down the middle Marquise Brown is there he's got it at the 30 and he's down at the 25 who wides from the 14-yard line. Mayfield's got it. Fakes a handoff. Looks in zone. Throws in zone. It's caught! Touchdown!
touchdown, Mark Andrews! And, of course, there isn't anything possible for Baker or this offense without the incredible play of their offensive line. We caught up with Orlando Brown Jr. and asked him what stood out from the film as he looked back at West Virginia. Uh, man, it was a good performance. You know, obviously there were things that we still need to get better at going here into December and, uh, you know, making these championship runs that we want to make. Uh, it was a great overall film, you know, but still some stuff that needs to be fixed. Is there an advantage one way or the other for an offense or a defense when you see a team the second time in a season? Uh, you know, man, honestly, you know, it's hard to say. I've never really played anyone twice in the same season. I really couldn't tell you. Um, but I am expecting to see a, you know, a whole new defense, and I'm pretty sure Coach Riley will correct things too. Can you take us through what Bill Beanbow has meant to you from the first day you stepped on campus and the way that you've grown and matured Orlando? What, what has Coach B meant to you? A lot, man. You know, he's been a lot like a, a father figure for me. You know, uh, you know, he's had a huge impact on my life. You know, obviously with him, you know, being one of the people that gave me an opportunity to come here. Um, you know, he, a, lot of, a lot of my success, you know, throughout the past years, as far as maturity and understanding my role, you know, I mean, he's kind of played a, he's played a part in that, too. You know, I know it was the last game at Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadium on Saturday, but how about this crowd the last couple of games? They really made a difference, didn't they? Absolutely, man. You know, uh, thank you, Sooner Nation, you know, for everything that you've done. You know, and hopefully, you know, we can get that in the Big 12 Championship and hopefully in the playoffs and in that. Good stuff from two of the captains, Baker Mayfield and Orlando Brown Jr. Coming up later in the podcast, we'll talk in depth about the four-team playoff rankings with Adam McClintock. But tonight, you can join Toby Rowland, who is our next guest, and Teddy Lehman, along with myself, live from the Windstar World Resort, which is in Thackerville, just before you get to the Texas state line. And we'll preview OUTCU and the Big 12 championship game live from 6 to 7 tonight. Now, it's on the Sooner Radio Network. You can also find it on the TuneIn app. I've kind of positioned it as a live version of the podcast, so I hope Toby and Teddy don't mind that too much. But one of the cool things about tonight is Brandon Meyer, a regular podcast guest, our buddy over at Sooner Vision, is actually sending down a crew to help put us on Facebook Live. So not only will we be live on the Sooner Radio Network, but Brandon Clark, our buddy from Sooner Vision, is making the roadie down, and we'll be live on Facebook tonight, Facebook Live. So make sure you're following OU Athletics, and we'll send a link where you can follow along tonight, ask questions, interact throughout the show at OU on the air. So with that in mind, we invite you to join us, but here's a little preview of what we'll talk about because Toby Rowland joins us now live on the Sooner Sports Podcast. I, I say live, though I mean all, all of this is taped, but I'm curious, Toby, as we've looked back on the week of interviews and shows, what have you really learned? What's kind of stood out in your preparation and maybe even from the Lincoln Riley show on Tuesday night? I think the interesting thing has been that, you know, you're playing a team for the second time, and one of your concerns is you've already beaten them. You beat them pretty soundly. You worry a little bit about with college kids' motivation, trying to beat a team twice, all that kind of talk. And yet as the week's gone along, like motivation has presented itself to the point now where we're kind of expect, expecting a bubbling pot when we get down to Jerry World. So you've got, you know, you've got uh, uh, where the college football playoff rankings put them. Mm -hmm. You've got Gary Patterson in his press conference talking about the whole pregame stuff last time. You've got the offensive line now not being named one of the top three offensive lines in the country. And suddenly, as the week's gone along, you've, you appear to, once again, have a very motivated Oklahoma team, despite the fact that they're playing a team twice. So uh, uh, other, yeah, I think that's been interesting as the week's gone along. Did uh, 
Did you take anything from Tuesday night with Coach? That kind of because I I don't know if we talked too terribly much about it on Wednesday, did we? Uh, and and I know that we didn't really go too in depth on it uh, throughout the show yesterday. But was there anything that really kind of caught your ear from the coach's show on Tuesday night? Um, outside of the fact that Lincoln's very confident, right? I mean, he always is. So, yeah, no, I mean, I don't know that I would say that he comes across as overly confident necessarily ever. Mm -hmm. I, I I think that. Um, you know the the approach is an interesting one. I, I'm nothing. I just intrigued by how does anyone approach playing a team for the second time now, in regards to that first game, and his approach this week has basically been uh, that first game never happened. Right. We're, we're going back to school on these guys. Start from scratch. Do over. We're not. We're not going to look at the film and say, all right, this worked and that didn't. So let's do this again. Let's don't do that. This is a new game, new team. We've never seen these guys before. Let's go prepare as we would for anybody else. So uh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, there was one person that sent in a question about bulletin board material. Like, is bulletin board material a real thing? He wasn't specifically talking about TCU, just in general. Is bulletin board material something coaches actually use? And Lincoln goes, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I use that. <laughs> <laughs> and then during the first break, uh, he asked where where the committee put them. You know, what, what are the rankings? And I said, they put you at three. They put Auburn. They jumped Auburn over you. And he just kind of raised his eyebrows and goes, hmm. And then went back to signing autographs. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, you could read into the raising of the eyebrows and, hmm, like, uh, I can use that. That's awesome. Yeah, and when I say confident, that's not to say that it, there's any arrogance by any stretch of the imagination. It's just this is a guy that's uh, always going to believe in his dudes. And I think, Toby, the one thing I've learned this week is to a man, everyone feels like they're just starting to reach their level. You know, some might look back and say, oh, well, it was Ohio State. No, no, I, I think this team's best football is still ahead of them. And I think that's kind of been the thing I've learned this week is there's no satisfaction in going 11-1 and and winning the Big 12 title. And, and obviously that's one goal, but I don't think everyone's going to – uh, come out on Saturday if they win and say, mission accomplished. This is a team that you get to sense, Toby, still building towards its best football, which I think is incredibly, incredibly reassuring this late hope in the season. So. Yeah. I hope so. I, I think there's. it's hard to imagine the offense playing better. Maybe they can, but it's hard to imagine them being better than they were last week. But there's still room, I think, for the defense to improve. And if the defense could get just a tad bit better, I think they win the national championship this year. So, you know, hopefully they can take another step in that direction on, on Saturday. You know, on Friday night, we're doing our show live from the Windstar on the road to uh, Arlington. And I threw it out there whenever I was kind of just throwing together some ideas for the show, Toby. We're going to be looking at our favorite moment from the 2017 season. Are you going to be able to pick just one? Hmm. It's going to hmm. be tough, right? I think we're going to end up probably doing the whole show based on this because there's been so many great moments this year. That's a very good question. Tough one, right? Yeah. It is going to be hard to pick one. 
There's been a lot of good ones this year. I mean, just off There's the top of your head. a lot of big plays. Yeah, Mark Andrews game winner against Texas. Rodney Anderson's at Kansas State. You know, going back even to what I think my favorite part is, is Ted walking into the locker room in the middle of their uh, their halftime speech, which was great. Uh, <laughs> but, no, in all seriousness. Ohio State. Ohio State's win. Bob Stoops with the fist pump up in the, the press box. I, I just There's been so many great moments. I think I know what mine is. I think I know what mine is. Is this what we call a tease in the business? This is what we call a tease. Yeah, you're going to have to listen tomorrow night. So, again, that's Toby, Teddy, and myself tonight, 6 to 7 o'clock. So, why, why wait and getting everything from Teddy? I called up Teddy Lehman and wanted to kind of get his perspective on what we learned about TCU and was what happened on November 11th in the second half of that game a matter of Oklahoma woeing up a little bit or did TCU find something defensive? What does the challenge in facing a team this quickly after seeing them before, Ted, as you've kind of looked over the notes and watched the film. I mean, what's the biggest challenge? Is it to try to be creative? Is it to try to do something different? Is it more emotional and mental? Where is that big challenge? Well, especially when the first matchup was so big. Right? It's not like it's one of those early season matchups where, um, you know, you've developed and, and grown and changed as an offense or a defense since you had that meeting. It's just a couple of weeks ago, so you really haven't morphed into anything different. So they've got a really good feel for who you really are, and they've got an ability to you know, to match that a little bit better, to, to look at your game plan and kind of self-assess what you saw in them as their weaknesses and try to exploit. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of soul-searching going on and people taking a good look at themselves whenever they set up this game plan the second time around. So, I don't know. I, I think in a rematch like this, talent always favors the, the winning team from the earlier matchup. But this is a real coaching chess match to see if there's any advantage you can find and any and, and adjustments you can make to what you had problems with the first time around. Do you look at that second half – on November 11th as TCU figuring something out to slow down Oklahoma or Oklahoma kind of changing its approach a little bit because the defense allowed them to? Yeah, I, I think they. there was a lot of talk that we went super conservative because, uh, you know, we didn't want to show anything in case there was a, a second matchup. That's not the case at all. Uh, we went conservative because we were afforded the ability ability to because how our defense was playing. When have you ever known Lincoln Riley not to score, score, score? All right, that's what he's trying to do. That's what he wants to do. But we were able to, you know, run the football a little bit, not take too many chances because that is a good defense. If you take some chances, they can turn you over. So we didn't have to take those shots, take those chances. We are able just to kind of – run the football, not make a mistake, and get out of there with a win. And I think, you know, that's what Lincoln told us after the game. If my memory serves me correct, it was very, it was right on those lines. Hey, listen, that's a good football team. We, wanna, we didn't want to take a chance to really get their momentum going because the next thing you know, Ted, you're in a game before you know it because you tried to force a few things. Yeah, and if you go back and listen to the interviews afterwards, I think, did we have Coach Beanbow on? Uh, we had someone, and they were talking about exactly the missed opportunities that they had and the mistakes that they made in the second half to where they couldn't get some of those points that they really wanted. I mean, and you're right, Lincoln Riley, 
he brought it up after the game that he was he was upset with the way the offense played the second half. That doesn't tell you that. Well, you know, we just decided that we weren't going to show anything. I, I that's looking too far into it, if if you ask me. You know, looking back defensively, that was a really good game for a Devontae Lampkin. Some would even say maybe his breakout game. Ted, over the last few weeks, what have you seen from this interior of the defensive line that's caught your eye? Have you seen him improve? Have you seen him play better? I think the biggest thing is that they're just healthy. You know, they fought different guys being out with nicks and and bumps and bruises and different things throughout the whole year. They finally have their full rotation. I think that's changed everything. Not to mention that, you know, some of the younger guys have found their way and they're starting to play more consistent football. I think just having all of them out there and having that good rotation helps more than anything. And, you know, it it makes things easier for the guys in the back end. When you have that solid push up the middle, when you have that solid push up front, Ted, I mean, you've talked about it a lot. It makes things easier, especially when you're talking about, you know, a true freshman that seems like he's the guy now, Trey Norwood, at that corner opposite Motley. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. When your D-line's playing really good football up front, the secondary, it cleans things up for them. It makes the the timing a little bit better when they're not letting the quarterback sit there and and pump the football and look all over the field. uh, It's critical for the secondary. And and let's, let's point that out. I think the secondary's been better. You know, I think whenever they've made some personnel changes back there, I think that's given them a little bit more of an edge and they're playing better football. Now, people haven't been pushing the ball down the field on us. We had a backup quarterback in Chuganoff for West Virginia that they basically ran about 10 plays the entire game. Most of them were wildcat. And then we had the Kansas game. People haven't been pushing the ball down the field on us. That's going to change. What has made – I want to shift back over to the offense of Oklahoma versus the defense of, of TCU. What, in your opinion, Teddy, has made Gary Patterson's defenses so consistently good? That's a good question. Um, their, their front seven is, I hesitate to say always, because they weren't very good last year defensively. They, I mean, let's be honest, they were bad. Uh, but they've got a lot of guys back. They've got experience back, and they've got some guys making plays this year, and I think that matters. They're coached really well. Um, what I like about TCU this year is their edge players on their defensive line. Uh, Banigou and Boson are really good. The way they fit and slam the run and contain the run is really good. A lot of other teams, like West Virginia runs that stupid 3-3-5 stack that I despise. And the biggest reason that I don't like it is there's no hard edge. Your contained players are on the second level. So, the, the like an offensive line like Oklahoma that pulls a guard and a tackle around on their bread and butter play, there's no hard edge. And they're, they're coming around the corner and then downhill on your edge player. You, take, you contrast that with the TCU team. TCU has a four-man front with edge players right there on the line of scrimmage with Boson and Banigou. Whenever you run a play where you have pullers pulling around, that edge player will come and slam and contain that run, and it tightens all the running lanes up, and it makes life a lot more difficult. How in the world does this offensive line not end up as one of the top three finalists for the Joe Moore Award? I don't know. Well, there's a couple reasons. Number one, 
Alabama, Auburn, and Notre Dame all have really good offensive lines. I don't want to discredit those those offensive lines at all. Okay, they're 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 really solid. You see what Notre Dame's done running the football this year is has been outstanding. Auburn clearly outstanding. But if you look at what Oklahoma has done, you look at what their offense has done, you look at the the ability their quarterback has to stand in the pocket, uh, running the football. It doesn't matter if it's Rodney Anderson who's come on really strong lately, or if it's a true freshman to Trey Sermon on the road against Ohio State and, and quote the best defensive line ever, they've gotten it done. So, I mean, they are clearly worthy to be in that pack. The other ones are good, too, but I think Oklahoma clearly deserves to be there. Thanks to Teddy Lehman for joining us. You know, that, that first conversation that we had was really kind of the thing that has stood out to me this week. And if you go back to the first half, Oklahoma scored 38 points and had a 410-yard uh, advantage, well, not 400, they had 410 yards on 36 plays in the first half against TCU on November 11th. In the second half, they were shut out, only had 123 yards on 32 plays. So, again, you have to credit TCU's defense. Maybe Oklahoma took fewer chances. Maybe they missed on a few things, but good stuff from a Teddy in giving us that perspective. Now, let's shift to the other side of the football. No, 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 no. Not the defense nor the offense. But the purple side, TCU, we had a chance to catch up with Horn Frog analyst on the radio network, John Ditton. So we go behind enemy lines and catch up. It's been a couple of weeks. What have we learned about TCU since we last saw them on November 11th, John? Well, you know, I think the, I think the, uh, the silver lining in all of it, number one, I was, I was really impressed with the way the team bounced back at Tech uh, and uh, with Sean Robinson having to start. I mean, I will tell you, TCU came out of that OU game beat up. I mean, it was uh, there were about five or six guys who didn't make the trip that were either first or second teamers, especially on defense. And, you know, just the, the psyche, you know, you worry about going to a place like Lubbock and, you know, weird things always seem to happen to us out there when um, when we go to play. And, and uh, you know, Tech was playing for bowl eligibility, and, I mean, it was – it was um, it was good to see them bounce back and and play, especially. Uh, I wasn't too concerned on the offensive side. I mean, there's plenty of weapons there, and uh, we've gotten a couple of linemen back that that has helped a lot. But just you know, just the psyche of and and you know being able to kind of control a game like that after they got controlled the week before by Oklahoma. So that was good. And then then the Baylor game at home, you know, senior day and whatnot, we were a little slow starting. I think, you know, senior day is always tough because, you know, you got your parents out there, your career is coming to an end. As a player, you got tears in your eyes, and then all of a sudden, you know, you lose the toss and, you know, you're, you're kicking off or you're, you know, trying to return a kick. But they, they got their wheels on after the first quarter and, and looked pretty good. And it is weird. I mean, I went back and looked. The last time – TCU and Baylor used to play twice a year a lot because years ago, you know, before 1915, they were both in, in Waco. And it's been 1909 since TCU's played the same team twice in a year, exactly three weeks apart. So this is, this is an oddity for us. I know a lot of other conferences that have conference championships have had a lot of rematches, but uh, it's, it's been unusual for, um, for TCU. And it's going to be interesting to see you know, what team shows up? I mean, I think the biggest challenge for the Frogs right now is how fast can they start? Because uh, they didn't start fast against Baylor. They were a little slow against Tech. And obviously, just, you know, Oklahoma a couple of weeks or three weeks ago just ran off and left us. So 
uh, I think you know trying to figure out how to jumpstart this team and have them ready to play from the word go is probably Gary Patterson's biggest challenge this week. Can can you kind of give us some perspective on the continued development and growth of Kenny Hill because he misses a game at Texas Tech, but then comes back and I thought played really well from what I witnessed against Baylor. And speaking of being really good, he's been really good on third down this year, John. Yeah, he has, and I, I think you got to give a lot of credit to the offensive staff and, and Sonny Cumbie, the coordinator, who's also the quarterback's coach. And, you know, they've they figured out, and, you know, late in the season a lot of defenses figured out too, that Kenny Hill is is really good from, you know, zero to 20 yards up the field. You know, if if you ask him to make those throws and you put him in position to, to make those throws and be successful, he's pretty good. If he has to get deeper than that, uh, his accuracy starts to fall off, you know, critically. And they've they've put together game plans and and helped him uh, succeed. You know, I mean, he's kept his interceptions down. Uh, he had 13 last year. He led the universe in interceptions this year. I think he's got four or five. And and uh, you know, and and I'll tell you, the other thing that's helped that a lot too, uh, especially on third downs from a team standpoint, is that TCU has a running game this year, which is something they really never committed to last year. And, you know, you, you think, wow, how could they have missed that? But Doug Meacham was the coordinator, and he was more interested in, in throwing it and spreading the field. And, you know, the Frogs kind of looked at things in the offseason and said, well, we've got Kyle Hicks, we've got Shaywo Alonalua, who's 225 pounds, and you got Darius Anderson, who started to flash and show some signs late last year. And, you know, I think that's helped Kenny Hill more than anything is handing it off to these backs on third and three and, and throwing into the flat and, Obviously, Darius Anderson is um, not going to be available, but the other two backs are, are very serviceable. And um, and I think, you know, that's been a big part of, of Kenny Hill uh, getting comfortable. And, you know, and, and the receivers have done a good job this year for him as well. We led the league in, in drops last year, too. So, I mean, a lot of things have come together. But, you know, I think the running game, the offensive line, the receivers, and the scheme has, you know, those have all kind of surrounded uh, Kenny Hill and, and, and put him in a comfortable position where he, he can succeed, and he's done well. I mean, nine out of the ten wins are his. Well, you mentioned the running back position. Kyle Hicks, I guess, becomes that guy. So, and, and it's not like he hasn't been getting carries all year long, but I don't want to say if there's a position where they could afford because they had a little depth. Would running back be that? Because you have, what, two guys behind him that can, can run the ball as well, too. So what's that depth like behind Hicks? Well, with, uh, with Hicks, and you know, I mean, he's – he led the team last year in, in rushing and receiving. I mean, he was really good. He went off for 200 yards in against Baylor last year. He, you know, he hasn't exploded this year, but I mean, he's he's sharing a lot more time last year. He was the guy pretty much uh, until Darius Anderson started to come on, you know, late in the year and had that huge game at Texas. But you know, with Anderson out, it's, it's you know, Hicks is going to be the go-to guy, and then. I think, um, you know, the last couple of weeks since the Oklahoma game, Shaywo Alonalua has gotten a lot more carries, and he's a big back. He's he's a guy that, um, you know, I think they've they sat him down and said, look, you know, you're you're going to have to put your head down and run over some people. You're not 185 pounds. You're you're a big body, and you need to, you know, lower your shoulders and and uh, and get you know dig in and, and get yardage when you need it. So, I think that the last couple of weeks he's he's had some good games. He had a great game against Baylor. And um, you know the other kind of kind of X factor is is Kennedy Snell, who's the freshman from Waxahachie, who's about 160 pounds. He's he's the next 
Devontae Turpin in waiting, but he can play in the slot, and he has played some running back. So you, you may see him in some sets on Saturday just to, you know, just to kind of spell Hicks and maybe give him a little change of pace because what they, what they got out of Darius Anderson that I think they, they weren't expecting was he's a 205-pound running back who runs like he's about 225. And he has a burst, and he he's, he just took the the game in, in Stillwater. He took that game over. And uh, when the Frogs needed a big play, he got through, broke two tackles at the line of scrimmage, and ran for 42 yards. And that was that was the game. And um, and they they're going to miss him a lot um, tomorrow, on Saturday. Um, the one good news or piece of good news from the run game is it uh, looks like Frogs will get uh, Patrick Morris, their starting center back, and that puts the offensive line back in to order where it was uh, against Oklahoma State. That's the last time that, that uh, Patrick Morris has started a game. So that puts Austin Schlopman back to right guard and, and Matt Pryor, the giant you know, 6'6", 355-pounder at right tackle. So that puts the offensive line back in, back in order, which is something that, uh, that you didn't see three weeks ago against Oklahoma the first time. What is it that makes – I had asked Teddy Lehman this question. He's our analyst on the sidelines. What, what has made Gary Patterson's defenses so consistently good? I know that there was maybe a little bit of a dip last year, but consistently the numbers. This is usually a top-five defense in the country. John, what's been the, the key factor for that? Well, you know, I think number one is uh, I think teams take on the, the personality of their of their leader. And, you know, Gary spends a lot of time – with the defense, that's his baby, and that's his scheme, and and uh, he lives it and breathes it 24 hours a day. And and uh, I think a lot of the players on the two deep, uh, you know, kind of live by the same thing. The other thing is that uh, really the only thing that's ever slowed down any of these defenses since Gary became head coach was our injuries, and we've been pretty lucky this year. We've had some in spots, but. Uh, you know, the team that went 6-7 and seven last year had a lot of, of uh, redshirt sophomores and redshirt juniors, some older guys, and I think that age and experience has helped some. Plus, they've had some guys step up in the secondary this year. The secondary was really the area that they had questions uh, about, that they were concerned about. And, um, you know, at corner, opposite Ranthony Tejada, Jeff Gladney has turned in uh, some really good performances and, and uh, and, and did a great job, shut down Dylan Cantrell at Tech and took a ball away from him and returned it 93 yards for a touchdown. So uh, they've, they've, they've been good uh, from a depth standpoint. I think if you look at this year's defense in particular, the difference has been the play of the defensive line and the depth of the defensive line. They're getting pressure on the passer, which is something they didn't do at all last year. And uh, they pulled some guys up off of red shirts, uh, Ross Blacklocks at 330 pounds now Ooh. at defensive tackle. And uh, a freshman, Corey Bethley, plays at 310. And, you know, they've got some stumps in the middle now where they don't, just don't get blown off the ball. Last year, uh, the last three games, Kansas State, uh, Oklahoma State, and in the bowl game against Georgia, I mean, all those teams ran for more than 300 yards. We were just getting plastered, especially late in the game, and we didn't have the depth to hold up. And that's uh, that's kept us in a lot of games this year, and of course the defensive ends have, have uh, exceeded everybody's expectation. Everybody thought Banigou would be pretty good and transfer from Louisiana Monroe. He's been great, and uh, Matt Boson has exploded. Had five and a half sacks against Baylor. Between the two of them, they've got 19 sacks, and that's just the ends. So, uh, you know, a lot of things have fallen into place, but 
more than anything, the overriding factor is always speed. You're always going to see speed on a, a Gary Patterson defense. If that's <laughs> that's word or uh, I guess number one on the job description. If if you can run, uh, then then you're going to end up on on the defense. If you can't, you're probably going over to play offense somewhere. And finally, in wrapping things up. I've, I've loved this analytics conversation that takes place. I'm not a numbers guy. Uh, I'm not a math guy, but I can always surround myself with people who are. And Adam McClintock, he's an Oklahoma guy. He's really crunched the numbers. He's really gone in depth in exactly what he feels like this four-team playoff committee is looking at whenever they're ranking teams. And after the final regular season rankings came out on Tuesday, I talked to Adam on Wednesday to kind of get his perspective on what we learned from Tuesday night and if there was any surprise about Auburn jumping up to number two, jumping over Oklahoma. Yeah, it was it was really tight. I um, I didn't expect them to put a two-loss team up in the top two. They they really broke precedence with that. But if you um, – I mean, let's go through and let's look at, these, at Auburn's resume and, and Oklahoma's resume and and, you know, the difference between the two is the strength of schedule because both have five quality wins. Both have three top 25 victories, okay? Um, the only difference is in the two is Auburn has two losses, OU's one, and Auburn's strength of schedule is 10, and Oklahoma's is 84th. So that, I think that is kind of what was the bugaboo and what, what caused them to flip those two um, is, the, is the, the, the big difference in strength of schedule. Adam, where is Oklahoma's strength of schedule? I mean, it's it's not. I, I noticed the numbers, and maybe you might you might need to explain it to me. But it seemed pretty. It didn't seem like it was as as solid as maybe I even anticipated. Yeah, there. The Oklahoma's strength of schedule is eighty fourth, and um, this is using the committee strength of schedule. This isn't a formula I came up with. This okay. is this is the the formula that Heather Dinich has reported that they use, and it's it's been pretty consistent. Um, Oklahoma schedule, you know, yeah, you played Ohio State early on, right? Mm-hmm. You played TCU and Oklahoma State and some pretty good teams in there. But you also you have to look at they played three of the worst records in all of FBS in Baylor, KU, and UTEP. Okay, those three teams combined for a record of 2-34. and 34. That's a torpedo to your strike of schedule. So, um that right there, those three games, is, is what is holding Oklahoma's strength of schedule down in the 80s. What's that formula again? I, I, I thought I'd read it, written it down here, but I guess I hadn't. It's a quarter of your opponent's opponents. How does that, how does that work out, Adam? Yeah, you, you take your, um, your opponent's win-loss, or total your, your opponent's win-loss records, okay? Uh-huh. And that's two-thirds of the formula. And the other third is your opponent's opponent's win-loss record. Okay. And that's a third of the formula, so... And the way they handle FCS opponents is um, after they total all the win, wins and losses up, the FCS uh, team's losses count against you, but they don't count the wins. Gotcha. So, um, yeah. It's a little challenging. We're hanging out with Adam McClintock. Now, with that in mind, let's look at this from a Sooner perspective. You take care of business on Saturday against TCU. You've, you're firmly in right now, Adam. Is there a chance you're sticking at three if everything holds the same? Will it matter what happens? In, or it's going to matter what happens in these championship games. But let's say all the, the the teams that are in the top four right now hold serve. Does this mean they're going in as the three seed, or could they jump up to two? And I would imagine there's no chance to get up to one, right? No, I don't see any chance of them getting up to one. Um, if Auburn goes 
through and beats Georgia, I don't see them dropping them below OU now that they have them at two. I mean, they've kind of set that precedence now, and, and if, if Auburn wins, they kind of have to keep them there. They can't jump Clemson because one of the um, key proponents of, of how they look at these resumes is, he- is head-to-head. Mm-hmm. So when two teams have a similar resume, they default to head-to-head. Clemson beat Auburn head-to-head. So Auburn, the highest Auburn can get is two if Clemson wins out. So um, Oklahoma was looking at, at a, a three or a four, and I'm um, I'm probably more like it's probably more likely that they they hold on to that three spot. I would think. Hmm. We're hanging out with Adam McClintock at CFB underscore Professor, trying to make sense of the rankings. So let's play this out from just kind of a what if perspective. You know, I've gone back and forth on this quite a bit too, but. Alabama, I, I, I don't know, because we can't get too carried away with 5, 6, 7, and 8, can we, with the numbers next to these teams? Because if there's anything that we've learned is these next-to-last rankings are kind of irrelevant towards the final rankings, but is Alabama pretty much doomed? I mean, is there a chance that they could still slide in here if Ohio State beats Wisconsin, or do you think the Buckeyes are going to get that last slot? Man, i tell you what, I didn't. Ex- that was the other um, move that they had last night that I – was really, and this was even more of a head scratcher than the Auburn, um, Oklahoma flip. Uh, Georgia, there's there's really no reason why they should be behind Alabama that I can see from the resume. They have a better strength of schedule. They have more quality wins. They have more top twenty five wins. That's that's a real head scratcher. Why Alabama's at five? And because they put them at five, um, I think that there's a better chance than I anticipated yesterday that that they could get in. Say um, if. If um, Auburn beats Georgia and uh, um, Ohio State beats Wisconsin, um, which you know I think those I think I think those are the teams that are favored in those games. Am I right? Yep. Um, if that happens, then then that door is still open just a little bit for Alabama to, to get in as as much as I don't like to say it. <laughs> <laughs> with uh with this in mind, we we brought this up a little bit the last time we chatted, but for the most part. Will we see teams continue to try to schedule up in the non-conference? Do you think that's going to be something now that ADs will continue to take uh, uh, notice of and try to schedule up in the non-conference season? Um, scheduling up? Um, I don't know if scheduling up is – they need to schedule smarter. Um, okay. For example, for example um, let's take Oklahoma's schedule, for example, okay? You can't do anything about Baylor and Kansas being bad. Okay, those are unless you kick them out of the conference, you can't. You, you're you're going to have to play those teams every year. But UTEP, all right. Say you you replace that game with another G5 like Ohio or Appalachian State or um, Toledo or some other team that wins that has a winning that has consistently had winning records over the past five to eight years. Not only does that become a quality win for you, but that's, that also helps your strength of schedule. So not necessarily. Scheduling up, as in scheduling other blue bloods, but schedule. If you're going to schedule G5 schools, schedule ones that have a history of winning a winning record and and um, uh, doing doing well. Schedule the Boise States, the the Fresno States this year, I guess. Um, the um, Appalachian States, the Ohio's, the Toledo's. Schedule them instead of the UTEPs and the teams that don't really have a very good shot of having winning a winning record. To put a bow tie on this, Adam, from a Sooner fan's perspective, 
right now at three, win this weekend, you're in. But again, any chance they can jump up at all, or does it really kind of seem to matter what happens around them more than anything else? Um, I think they can uh, – the Auburn-Georgia game, it, it's, it's tough to tell what happens if, if Georgia beats Auburn. Right. Um, do they do they jump them all the way up to two in that in that situation? I, I don't know for sure. Um, it just kind of depends on what the strength of schedules look like after after next week. Um, I, I see Oklahoma staying at three. I, I really like them as, as locking that three spot if everything – um, plays out the way it's, it's expected. Um, they'll probably be in the three spot playing the SEC champion is, is, is what I would imagine. I guess the key in all these numbers conversations, it's really simple. Win Saturday and you're in. Period. That We can break down strength of schedules. We can break down quality wins. The charge is very simple for Oklahoma. Win the Big 12 championship game. You're playing in the four-team playoff. I hope to see all of you tonight at the Windstar World Resort. We are in Thackerville. Teddy, Toby, and myself will be live starting at 6 o'clock. We'll go till 7. We'll be on Facebook Live as well, too. And then make sure you have that TuneIn Radio app or you find the affiliate closest to you at Soonersports.com for OU and TCU as we're on the air Saturday morning, 9.30 a.m. Until then, have a great countdown to kickoff. Enjoy OU-TCU, the Big 12 championship game. And Boomer Sooner, everybody. This has been the Sooner Sports Podcast. Make sure to get all the latest episodes online right now at Soonersports.tv slash podcast. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at OU on the air. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers. Hunt for muddy puddles and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.